Welcome to Series 2, Episode 3. In this episode, I talk to Rachel Flower from The Broad Room. We discuss mindset, what to do with your bounce-back loans, women in business, decision-making, being proactive, and much more. Let's normalise some of the challenges you and your business is going through. Thanks for being a fab listener, and don't forget to subscribe. Welcome to the Johnny Ross Audio Experience. I'm Johnny Ross, founder and digital marketing strategist of Fleet Marketing. Each podcast, I'll be bringing you an expert to inspire you, to give you some great business growth takeaways, and to get you thinking about marketing and the bigger picture of how businesses can improve, adapt, and grow. I look forward to sharing this with you on each podcast. So here we go. Hi, and welcome to another live Q&A. Uh, here today, we have Rachel Flower with us. Delighted that you can uh, be with us. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and um, we're uh, in the Facebook group, Coronavirus Yorkshire Business Support Group. Uh, you're welcome to join anytime. Today, we're live streaming on YouTube, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, my first time on LinkedIn. Uh, so uh, welcome to anyone that's watching on LinkedIn and uh, on Facebook in the uh, in the group. If you go to the top of the group, the pinned post, you should see us live there. Um, if you're watching this on replay, please put hashtag replay so that we can understand how you consume this content. Uh, Rachel, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Very exciting. A absolute pleasure. Um, so it would be really good to to get a bit of a background. I mean, you're uh, you're a lawyer. Um, but uh, you are in, uh, involved in many different companies, um, lots of different passions. How, talk, talk to us about how you've got where you are now. <laughs> Indeed, where am I now? Where am I going? Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think it was Marie Forleo who coined the phrase about being multi-talented, multi-passionate um, in the entrepreneurial world, and I think that's quite a common theme for many of us. Um, I did actually start out as a lawyer. I trained with um, a large law firm called Adelshaw Goddard, and then I moved to DLA Piper, and then I actually went in-house, which is something that lawyers commonly do, and I loved being in-house because it gave me that much wider, broader commercial business angle to things. Um, I had a commercial director role and had a team and managed a whole load of clients um, and it was in 2009 and um, I was starting a family and the issue I had the core issue was that I just couldn't see how in this senior role I would transfer that into being this mother that I wanted to be I didn't know what that would look like and to be honest I had very few role models who could show me how to balance being in a senior corporate position with being at home. And um, so I set up in business and uh, started out on sort of a consultancy basis. And then I grew Serenwood, um, which is a legal consultancy business at its core. And initially was sort of trying to bring, um, fairly disruptive in a way, but commercial advice rather than legal advice. So really helping business owners to uh, think about the legal aspects, but apply them in a very commercial way to their business. Um, and I also wanted to provide different ways of working for lawyers, particularly women. We lose a lot of women out of the law profession because there's very little flexibility in terms of how the role works. 
Um, so yeah, I did that for a long time and um, working around my young family. And then as you say, I've branched out over the years into business coaching, business mentoring. I now have a, a venture with my business partner, Lucy, called The Broadroom, which is peer-to-peer problem solving. And I have a number of interests in businesses where I am sort of in a commercial director role, if you like, but also have a shareholding and help to promote the success of those businesses. So very varied. It's brilliant. Uh, and we're going to be trying to open up the conversation today and, and sort of have a, an honest conversation about trying to really get to the bottom of how people are feeling, what things are, what people are going through to try and normalize some of this as well. Uh, I know you're very passionate about women in business as well. So there's, there's a lot of different topics that we're going to, to try and cover. Um, mm. and, uh, and, and as I said, one of the things is just trying to have that uh, conversation around uh, trying to really tease out the, the things that people are, are really going through right now um, and and to, to help them understand that they're not the only ones going through this. And, and, and you know, the, the last seven or eight weeks, uh, I think we're in week eight, I think. Um, how's it been for you personally? You, 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 you've got children at home. Uh, it's tough, I assume. Yeah, I've got two girls, seven and ten year old, and obviously the school's closing was a big thing for me as a business owner. It was for many of us because suddenly we had that extra responsibility um, and I welcome it. And my priority initially was to take care of my children. I was concerned for their emotional well-being and, you know, the messaging, I guess, around the virus. I think many of us as parents wanted to make sure that we limited uh, impacts on mental health. Um, I didn't want my children to grow up with this sudden you know, new fear around infectious disease. Um, so we're in uncharted territory, weren't we? Um, and I had lots of immediate things to sort out in my own business around you know, contracts that were canceling or um, you know, issues that my clients were having that I needed to take care of. But then I also had this massive influx of uh, pr pretty much hundreds of business owners that needed immediate support around things like terminating contracts, furloughing employee, well, furloughed a new term to us, wasn't it? But redundancy schemes, um, their customers were cancelling. And, um, you know, in whole industries, sectors of industries being forcibly closed down, there was very much this aftermath of panic. Um, and that was, you know, you and I talked briefly about a, a, a training that I rolled out on the change curve theory. Um, essentially, as a nation and also globally, we went through this chaotic aftermath. And lucky for me personally, which is the question um, that you raised, I've had experience in my life of kind of quite serious life trauma and um, been through some bereavements and my youngest daughter had a cancer diagnosis. So I was already familiar with what happens to human beings when we suffer quite extreme shock uh, action. And actually the pandemic has been traumatic. So I guess I had this kind of advantage that I had these tools around emotional resilience that I could use on myself and my family, but also help my clients with. So whilst there have been lots of dark days and there's been many difficult days, I've also feel I've been able to, you know, employ a lot of resilience in the last six to eight weeks and help a lot of people as well. Yeah, well, it, it, it's it, it is tough, as you say. Um, so. One of the the things that you talked about um, is the uh, the program, the the training, uh, and that's around uh, mindsets. Is it? Uh, is that is that right? It's around um, uh, having the right mindset. Is that the training that you were talking about? The the curve, or was that or was that to do with 
just talk to me about the, the curve that you were mentioning just then. It's a concept called the change curve, um, and it is based on, there's a whole, whole body of work by a lady called Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who talks about the grief curve. So the emotions that somebody goes through in the aftermath of having lost a loved one, and the things like shock, denial, um, obviously deep grief, it can lead, and eventually you move more into acceptance, and you create a new normal. So you'll have heard this phrase, new normal being coined. And the new normal is difficult. You know, even if you're going through a grief experience on your own, it's hard. You move into this new phase of being where you accept that life will never be as it was before. Um, but you start to embrace and see joy and hope in other things. And so the change curve theory kind of builds on that because it talks about it more in a leadership context. So even in the normal course of things, a business might be constantly managing its workforce through a change curve because it has things that impacts the business and it needs to bring people on a journey and it helps people to interact properly. Um, and most important aspect really about it is recognizing that people are at different places on the curve at different times. So you can have people that have moved through the chaos bit and are now into acceptance and becoming more invigorated and creating ideas on how to move to a new normal, while other people are still in shock and denial and pain and chaos. Um, and that helps you to meet each other where you are and be more empathetic. And I think it's been so fascinating during the pandemic because um, we have seen that. I'm sure you can think of lots of examples. It's led to conflict and divide, particularly on social media, because some people are feeling more positive while somebody else is still in panic mode and they come up against each other. So, so this is really important then when you're trying to sell and market to really understand where your clients, but also your existing clients and potential clients, so two different sets there, are on that curve it's really important yeah. you understand that yeah and i think where you and i started having an early dialogue was about a message that i was pushing out um, it particularly affected women in business i was getting asked over and over again is it okay for me to be marketing perhaps it's insensitive am i okay to keep selling um, and how do i reposition myself because i don't want to look mercenary or like i'm exploiting the situation um, and yeah, it created a lot of um, divide and particularly around personality types. Some people wanted or immediately bounced straight into action and saw gaps and were able to position themselves well. And sometimes they did that really well and they were sensitive, but other people did that and got it wrong and got criticized for it. And then different personality types tended to want to sit back and they might not have known they were in the change curve, but they were trying to go introspective and reflect and really do that deep thinking that you just alluded to. What does my customer need right now? What do I need? What does my family need? What does my marketing need to do to really not just be short term, but to get me through with a longer term perspective? So we saw some companies go completely dark and uh, not really communicate at all for a while. Yeah. How 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 do you uh, do you have any practical tips at all on how to understand where people are on the curve? So wh whether that be existing clients or or potential clients, what, what I understand the deep thinking. What where do, is it? Is it deep listening? Uh, you mm. know, what's the yeah. 
So I think, I mean, you know, as you say, like some of these things are actually really great lessons for us as business owners. I think so many lessons are going to come out of the pandemic. You and I have talked about this. As a business owner, you should always know your client really well and you should always be doing market research, always be talking to your customer, constantly doing customer satisfaction surveys or feedback loops and really concentrating on how you retain your customers, give them that five-star experience, wow them, you know, all the good stuff. Actually, in the normal course of things, it's really hard, especially for small businesses, to cover all those bases. So what we saw in the wake of the pandemic was um, people at different places with how they could move their marketing and their messaging forward quickly enough to re-engage in the customer if that was necessary, or to retain the customer if they already had good, good retention rates, or actually to find completely different customers because some businesses literally lost everybody overnight and they had to maybe start again with the same customer base or they had to pivot. We've talked a lot about pivoting. Pivot and introduce new products, new completely new offerings at speed. Um, so, you know, top tips, I mean, we could get generic with it, but really it was about being individual as a business owner. It was really about understanding your unique business, your position within your industry, and um, looking at what worked before and could still carry on working and what had suddenly stopped working and needed to be, in some cases, quite drastically changed. Well, uh, one of the um, uh, clients or customers that you talk about is um, what you call uh, solopreneurs. Uh, so that's yeah. typically one man or one woman uh, bands. Um, what Being a being an entrepreneur is that something that you can learn or does it does it not does it not necessarily come naturally or or, or, or do we have to realize that people aren't just in business to be entrepreneurs oh i love that question it's a brilliant question or you could talk about that all day so the word entrepreneur comes from the french and it means an adventure or explorer so as a concept i think it's important when we're talking about truly entrepreneurial people that it's meant to be somebody that is visionary and strategic and is coming up with new ideas and they are innovating all the time and true entrepreneurs um, i guess if we were going to be purists about it are growing fast growth companies and they're trying to spin them off and sell them on and they've got a very you know strategic view on things true entrepreneurs probably would also have their fingers in lots of different pies um, and would be hedging their bets if you like that's a sensible financial thing to do so if one company goes down i think they say you know you should really have seven sources of revenue at any given time as a true entrepreneur so um, yeah, a lot of people that I've worked with over the years are also uncomfortable being called an entrepreneur because of those sort of connotations. And I think we have to say, like it's absolutely fine to be a business owner and not necessarily want to aspire to all of those things. And the solopreneur market is a really good example of that. Um, plenty of people are business owners and actually they're quite happy running a sustainable, successful business without necessarily an aspiration to grow that scale that sell it over time it's literally good enough like to look after your family and impact a cause you care about and be in the community like helping people and um, so those solopreneurs I think have been hit particularly hard in the wake of the pandemic. Uh, you know that this is something I feel passionately about. I've been campaigning and there is limited income support for sole directors of companies and there's gaps in the government legislation around self-employed and solopreneurs, um, small business owners who've fallen through the cracks 
have some of the income support that's been available and that's been quite a horrific downside of the pandemic um so uh, yeah um, we have to realize that there are a massive proportion of society as well they yeah, um, deserve to be cared for so so as an as a true entrepreneur i guess i guess you you have some of the those as you say you've got fingers in different pies anyway you've got some resilience um you've potentially gone through things already um as someone who's just wanting to feed their family uh, be in a business because that's potentially what their accountant has told them is the best way to to mm. to to uh, to have a, 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 a thank you yeah. <laughs> um, you know what, what i i guess they're in a position where they some of them actually just don't know what to do um and and um and is that what you're hearing from 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 many i i assume absolutely yeah and it's been heartbreaking for me i mean i've worked more consistently over the years with the larger the growing businesses um from a commercial legal perspective but i've also worked a lot as you know with women in business and they do tend to be solopreneurs um i think the stat says that 70% of women um owning businesses when they're surveyed don't want to grow their business they just want that sustainable income wow. and there's lots of reasons for that which we could debate um but most most of it is generally childcare related because they don't want the stress of at that point in time being on a, I mean, it can be very hard work and time intensive to genuinely grow and scale a company. So yeah, there's that big pool of people that when the proverbial has hit the fan, they haven't necessarily got that trained entrepreneurial muscle to bounce back and start looking around and redirecting and resiliently responding. They've been used to running um, a fairly, you know, um, it's never easy running a business, but predictable in a way. As a solopreneur or a small business owner, once you've got a number of clients locked on, um, then you tend to start to get an element of sustainability. But if you lose all those clients overnight and your business has been forcibly closed or your product or your service is no longer in demand or people were making obviously fiscal decisions, um, you know, just people have been closing down certain fields of spend which they were not essential. So many small businesses have just been hit by that. Like the business might come back as people start spending again so their businesses aren't dead in the water but for the short term they've had a kind of where do i go now like rabbit in the headlights response yeah um just to remind you uh people that are watching uh you're welcome to ask questions anytime uh, if you're watching uh, this back please put hashtag replay uh, and um if you want to join us uh, and continue this debate or have questions or want some support uh then uh, i'll give you contact details on how to get to rachel at the end of this but uh, we also have a facebook group the coronavirus yorkshire business support group you're welcome to go in there uh, and uh, and and self-help network uh, and join the conversation and um, what i want to know is you're you've got your fingers in many different pies you've got lots of stuff going on you've got you know you're trying to manage uh the household and, and the children and your husband's got a full-time job as well um you uh in fact uh, you're also uh, a member of the white rosettes uh and uh and and i think you'd, you like doing some theater stuff as well what what do you put all your success down to how have you managed to achieve this <laughs> that's a lovely question i think it's like it's always this like outward looking in isn't it you know we can look at other people and think like they're doing amazing things and they've got all this going on and i think social media can be quite bad for that you know because we tend to put out then this 
this image of like all the wonderful things we're doing, but we don't tend to necessarily talk about all the crap that goes on behind the scenes. So yeah, I'm doing lots of wonderful things in the world and I'm really proud of myself for that. But equally, there's been loads of days where I've been crying into my gin and tonic in the garden and like I go into my, I've got a little peer group mastermind of, of women that support me and you know, we've had lots of conversation and this is, this is really hard. I don't, I don't feel like I'm keeping all the balls in the air or I've dropped some plates and they've smashed on the floor. Like, literally in the kitchen and uh, you know in the business sense you know and I one of the things I have been trying to do in the last two months is talk more about that so I've shared quite a lot of content um, that's maybe a bit deep so about when I've gone through bereavements and trauma in the past I've made videos and um, one of them is called The Gift talking about with the benefit of looking back on traumatic events, we can look for what was the good that came out of that. And if you're just in the aftermath, it's too hard to do because you can't see any good. But as years have passed, you know, I lost my parents when I was 20. That was a very difficult thing to go through. I lost my brother in a car accident some years later. Um, all very traumatic events. And I've had to kind of train myself, I guess, to I've had lots of help. I've had psychotherapy and psychiatric, you know, not psychiatric in like you know, but I, you know, I've had series like his mental health week. So let's talk about that. You know, in my twenties, I suffered with panic attacks and anxiety. I was trying to hold down a very demanding job as a lawyer and I was basically burning the candle at all ends and I had to get support and be supported and so I suppose as you get older and a bit wiser and you know you look back on those things and they have contributed to my success as you refer to it now I wouldn't choose to have gone through those things but I did and I do think they've stood me in good stead to be more resilient at times like this so I've tried to share content to give people hope and to try and shut down this. Um, I mean, it's a good point that you make. Like sometimes I, when I stand up as a woman in business and financially secure and my children are you know, safe and well looked after, I sometimes get um, views put to me like, well, it's all right for you and you wouldn't understand what it's like to be on the breadline or you wouldn't understand. And, and so I have to gently say to them, well, actually, I would. I grew up in a working class family. You know, we were affected by a recession. My parents nearly lost their house. And um, when I was 20, I lost my parents. I had no money. You know, I think we, we forget when we look at people, we forget that there's always a backstory and you never really know somebody's backstory until you get to know them. And that's one of the core messages I talk about. You know, we don't judge. We, you know, are compassionate. We are empathetic. Certainly if somebody is being angry or frustrated, for me as a coach, I look for what's behind that. You know, I look for what's the trigger. You, you must have a natural drive as well, though, because, you uh, you know, take take the, the white rosettes as an example. You've won gold medals. I want to know more about this, by the way. Um, and, and, uh, and um you must have a, a a natural drive as well i assume whilst and I, and I want to get onto in a minute around the the challenges for women and and some of that's around finance and 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 all the things that you've just mentioned but the, the, correct me if i'm wrong there must be some natural uh, natural instinct in here of you for 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 real drive yeah and i'm sure that's true i mean i was as i say i was born in a working class household my parents had very little money and there was always an undercurrent from my parents about going out and being someone in the world and they wanted the best for us and for them that was about being a doctor or a lawyer because they saw that as you know those are vocations as soon as i became my clear that too. i have 
a natural intelligence, you know, you're an A-grade student, you want to go in one of those two directions. I actually wanted to be a singer or an actress. I was very into drama and um, I agreed to become a lawyer, basically to keep my parents happy. And um, I had this vision that I would run off and be discovered by the West End um, at some point, you know, in the future. And my parents died when I was doing my legal training or about to start it. And I suppose I pursued the dream for them for many years. And that's something that happens to a lot of us, uh, you know, childhood conditioning, whatever expectations or societal, you know, that has a big impact on what you go on to do. And I suppose I was not, I didn't want to leave that lawyer guys behind for quite a long time because I felt like that was something that my parents had wanted. And of course it is a great, you know, career for the right person. The problem for me was it wasn't actually the right job. You know, um, I'm a good lawyer, but I'm not a brilliant lawyer. I'm not a technically, I'm not interested necessarily in the test technical aspects of the law. What always really interested me was the relationships. So I loved the psychology of what does that business really need? Who are the decision makers at the table? How are they all interacting? And of course, that naturally plays into things like shareholders and is the business going to succeed? Investors invest in people. So the dynamic of the people. Anyway, you know, so yeah, that natural drive, I think partly for me comes from not having very much when I was younger and um, wanting to yeah, the art of the possible. I think every human has is born with an incredible amount of potential, but it really depends on the opportunities that they're given. And um, equality is a big driver for me, wanting to level playing fields, whether that's in education, whether it's in women in business, like we're talking about, whether it's in finance um, and diversity, you know, they, they do drive me so on, yeah. So, so uh, the barriers for women in business, you know, some of the things that you talk about are things around self-belief, self-doubt, uh, lack of mentorship, peer-to-peer, um, -peer finance, lack of role models. One of the things that you've created is the Broadroom, which I think is to try and plug some of those gaps. You've also said that uh, the current crisis, um, the, the, you know, with the, the coronavirus, potentially is, is sort of throwing us back to the 1950s a bit from a childcare point of view as well. Um, yeah. So just talk to me more about, about that and how the Broadroom helps and and sort of the, the things that you're hearing and, and uh, you know, and, uh, help us, help us normalise this, help us realise that, yeah. you know, actually everyone's going through the same shit here. Yeah, I do want to normalise that, particularly for women. Um, I'm, I'm meant to be fair, because one of the positives that has come out of the pandemic, actually, you know, I made that comment to you about 1950s, but we have seen a lot more men um, step up and ask for flexibility in their roles and sharing of childcare, more than we might have seen, you know, 10 years ago. I think that has been a positive. But by and large, from the women that I've spoken to, whether that's in their employed roles or whether it's running their own business, the lion's share has automatically fallen onto us. And I think we are, we can be our own worst enemies with that. Most of the women I know, and they're smart, ambitious, intelligent, fierce she-lions, you know, they want the best for their children. But we can have this element of martyrhood as well, where we instantly start trying to do all the things, juggling all the plates, turning into superwoman. That's a theme we talk about a lot with mental health with women, you know, um, we're sort of like the have it all generation it's all very new but for one of the first times in history it is possible in theory to have a brilliant career or run your own business 
and be a great mother and have a partner and keep all your friendships going and have hobbies like I sing and you know you have it all but actually can you because we have a massive increase in the impact of stress mental health as you know I work closely with a company called the chrysalis effect that looks um, or helps people recover from um, chronic fatigue and ME uh, diseases that are very closely linked with stress and they do affect men and women equally but we're seeing so many women a type overachieving women who are then getting burnt out and frankly you're no use to anybody if you are not taking care of your mental health and your physical health so all those barriers to women in business there's kind of a balance between having to recognize that particularly if you've got children you can't run as fast as other entrepreneurs who are growing and scaling and being okay with that and then as also as a society making it okay for people to contribute at a modest level there's too much pressure on women um, and I gave you some examples Johnny about some of the language that is used to women in business that might be like oh, it's really lovely that you're running that little business, or, oh, it's great that you can work part-time. And then um, sometimes these women are doing absolutely amazing things. And I'm not even talking about the revenue, because that's just one metric, right? But these women are often driving social purpose companies. They are down at the grassroots, literally, like on their hands and knees in communities, sorting out problems. And they don't get enough credit. And we don't get enough PR and media attention on that. So. Uh, whenever you ask me a question like that, I'm going to start going off. I, you know, I could talk about it all day. I'm very passionate about it. And as you say, during the pandemic, um, that's become much more difficult. Um, funding, much more difficult. Which, which nicely brings me on to a topic I wanted to ask you about uh, around uh, the uh, loans that are available. Uh, mm. I know that a lot of us are struggling to, you know, some of us fall through a lot of gaps with regard to grants and uh, um, uh, the, some of the schemes out there. But one of the things that most of us can can do is apply for loans. Um, typically, uh, traditionally, uh, you would say, I, I assume you'd say, you know, don't put yourselves in debt. Um, what's the advice that you're giving solopreneurs and, and businesses around uh, things like the bounce back loans? Yeah, well, um, as with everything with the pandemic, it's been an evolving journey. So my advice has had to change over the, you know, the days and the weeks as they pass. New measures have come out. Um, they keep adding things in um, you know, to the pot. And I think actually the way the government has responded by and large has been unprecedented and, and great in many, many areas. So I've seen lots of businesses well supported, you know, different grants have become available, the income support where it's helped people, that's absolutely marvelous. And I think we can all take our hats off to the government for those measures. Um, the debt one is really interesting. Um, Initially, the Seibel's loan scheme was not working so well for small businesses at all. It was quite onerous to apply for, and lots of small businesses were knocked back. Um, the bounce back loans came in, a completely different scale of kettle of fish. Um, I mean, I'm not really up to date with the statistics anymore, but as of a week ago, I think there was already three billion pounds of capital pulled down. They just had a massive amount of um, applications. So what I've seen is a very mixed bag of applicants, um, small business owners, some are in absolutely dire need of literally finance, 
that's particularly those that were excluded from the income support so they've had to make that very difficult decision to pull back a bounce back loan literally to carry on paying themselves salary which is legal for the bounce back loan because it's an overhead of the company and to put food on the table right and then i've seen because it's open to businesses of all shapes and sizes i've seen much larger companies going well hey like this is like the best interest rate we've ever been offered and there's hardly any risk attached to it so they've taken the loans and they're immediately investing it or accelerating projects research initiatives that they had and then somewhere in the middle there's people that are kind of well i'll just get it because you know everyone else seems to be getting it and it feels like a good th and they're sticking it in the bank account and that's okay too i mean it's not really going to help the economy but it's a it's an okay thing to do because none of us really know what the months ahead are for our business you know things can carry on changing so you you, you just made a really important point around um uh, I think there is a, a concern some people have around being uh, how they can use that money, and and of course what you know what we don't want to do is put people in positions where they uh, are are in debt that they can't afford, or, um, or 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 you know we're not we're not talking to people that are trying to commit fraud. Uh, at the same time, though, there's people that are concerned that they can't take some of this money out as as uh, as uh, as dividend salary dividend uh, and and the fact of the matter like you've said is is actually you can um because take it as uh, your salary yeah that's you're, no you're paying you. you're paying yourself aren't you uh, yeah. and if you pay and if you pay yourself via dividend uh then 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 that would be uh you know as long as you're not taking the whole lot out to be ruthless with it but as long as you, you you're paying you're paying yourself what you were paying yourself and and you can i guess you can um uh, as long as you can put yourself in a position that actually things are going to turn round, and this is, and you've got a plan, as long as you have some kind of plan, then I think that's what it's all about, uh, and 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 giving yourself that uh, that reassurance. So think, the, let, me, the, let me just let me just talk to that for people who may be in that position. So um, the other good thing that I hope comes out of this, and as I say, I've been in the campaign groups, and I've been really doing my best to to to. to give my commercial knowledge away for free to help people understand. In the solopreneur and the small business market, we have a lot of people who didn't even really understand the difference between PAYE salary and the dividends. They'd acted exactly as you said, on the advice of their accountant, some of them way back when, and then in light of these income support measures, they've actually been literally stung on the bum because you know, through no fault of their own really, there's been some very dubious comments made in, by politicians as well about tax dodging and you know well you haven't paid into this all of that is actually factually incorrect and it's been very unfair maybe 10 years ago there was tax advantages that were good from running a limited company and but these days uh, very very small differences between being self-employed and between being employed actually and then being a limited business so part of the good that has come out of this is being able to educate that pool of people um, you know, and I've been talking to them about you're a director, but you're also a shareholder. As a director, you get paid a salary, which is your PAYE. And as a shareholder, you can then take dividends when the company is profitable. Now, for me, I, you know, I've been running a business for a long time, but I'm on that model. The reason I'm on that model is because I pay my suppliers first. I pay my team first. So the reason I do it is for cash flow, literally. Like if there's a bad month in my business, I don't carry on taking salary as a director. 
I pay everyone else first. Um, so the advice as well, um, which has been great to see businesses, I suppose, waking up to this more commercial forward thinking. Oh, what does that mean? Right, well, I am going to raise my PIYE salary. And if I get the bounce back loan, instead of paying myself seven grand a year or whatever they've been advised to do, they're now actually paying themselves 15, 20, 30, whatever they want their salary to be, whatever the business can afford. And they may not pay themselves dividends again. So they're going to think about how to structure their business for the future in the way that's right for the type of business that they run. And that has yeah, that, to be the thing. That makes it that makes a lot of sense. Um we 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 sort of jumping into this next question. Um so assuming that you're not using uh, the bounce back to to possibly uh pay yourself, etc. My question to you is um, how should businesses spend their bounce back loan? What what if they if they have got this money and they've just put it in their account just in case, um, or uh, or if they are uh, thinking of uh, you know possibly investing? Any any thoughts on what businesses could be doing right now? Definitely. Um, I've always got thoughts on topics like that. And uh, just picking up from a coaching perspective, you said, what should business owners do? And I think the really important thing is that there is no should. I mean, I believe firm believer is there's no should in life anyway. You know, we can do whatever we want. And whenever I'm coaching, I change the should from a could. And I have to remind myself to do that because particularly as a woman, I tend to put all these obligations that I should be doing X, Y, Z and actually do I have to do them all? I could. I could choose to do them. And I think that's a really good way to approach the bounce back loan. Like there are many things that any of us could do with it if we wanted to. There is no particular reason you should do anything. So I've been encouraging people to look at your business, look at your personal situation, look at your own risk and um, your appetite for what helps you to sleep at night. And uh, you know, as with anything, it's like, what have you got to lose versus what have you got to gain? And you know, from a purely strategic point of view, it's always then looking at the return on investment. So it's actually a really good time to invest in stocks and shares in certain companies. You know, um, strictly speaking, a company shouldn't be doing that if you know it's using its bounce back loan for that. But if you wanted to personally pay yourself and then reinvest that, then that might be a great thing to do. I've got a really good friend who's a wealth management coach, and that's what she, her business has gone wild like lots of people who have got a bit of money to spend are wanting to be strategic about it at the same time if there's projects in your business that you're looking forward and you're saying if I do that now like if I build that thing now then I'm going to be ready in three months like what is the demand that is going to come down the line and um, you know you and I Johnny were also talking about a fascinating topic which is consumer behavior and how mm. we people to be spending in the months to come what will they be buying so when I've been talking to people about bounce back loans I've been really encouraging to think about what are going to be the most uh, profitable products and services that you can sell and the most in demand uh, in the months to come because the last thing you want people to do with a bounce back loan is plow it into things that are not going to mm. be needed so <laughs> you've picked up on uh, uh, the point around um, consumer behavior you know how are we going to work out the demand on our products and services uh, have you seen any examples I I've, I've seen a couple actually um, I'm just wondering if you've seen any examples yet of, of businesses uh, trying to find out or trying to plan on uh, how consumer behavior is going to change and and when we use the word consumer we are referring to business to business sales because 
their consumers, their people. Um, yeah. So, and, and have you any examples of that, or any thoughts on on how we can possibly foresee the future with regard to behaviour and demand? Well, I mean, the pandemic is an unprecedented event. We can't get away from that. It's having a global impact as well as a national impact. So it's very unique, actually, to be looking at consumer behaviour in such a broad way. Normally, we see consumer behaviour impacts in pockets, you know, where trends and... Uh, so I think one of the important things is thinking back to the change curve. What we're definitely going to see in the short term is people continuing to buy with a very survival instinct type approach. People are going to be very cautious, probably, um, in the short term. A massive, you know, um, and it's totally human behavioural as well as fiscal. But when we saw the panic buying with the toilet rolls and, uh, you know, essentially strange behaviour, but it's very easily explained when we think about the change curve. And I think that will continue for some time. Um, and people also um wanting like um uh, comfort so we're seeing quite a lot of like nostalgia um trends coming back up and you know obviously alcohol which isn't great for health necessarily but people just want a bit of fun lightness some of those trends are going to be really topical and then definitely obviously online anything education led people are going to be home a lot well, you know, even as the lockdown measures are released, we still want that ability to connect and continue to feel part of communities and continue learning when we can't go out and do our usual things. Yeah, you, and and the other thing is, you said that earlier on, you you were talking about how research is really important, and I think one of the things that you could be doing as a business owner right now is going out and asking your existing clients or asking potential clients. Actually, you know, the example is 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 the restaurant industry. You've seen some big restaurants uh, that have gone out with surveys trying to understand. You know, are you going to want to come back? How would you want to sit? Uh, you know, how would you want to consume? Um, and and I think that's it, it's around getting some data and asking the question. And in fact, doing that is is marketing and is selling. It's just a it's just a different way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, so I think that picking up on on it's really what you said earlier, which is research. So you know, go out and ask the question. Uh, I, I would have thought. Research the, um, and, and I suppose risk in a way. I mean, yesterday the butcher delivered a whole load of meat to my door, and they're a company, a local company that would never have delivered to me before because they delivered to the restaurants, right? But they pivoted really quickly. They were like, "Oh my God, we have absolutely no trade locked in because all the restaurants have closed. What do we do?" So they went out to friends, family, community, and now mums like me can get really high quality produce delivered to my door, and the difference from the supermarket stock has been incredible so i was saying to the guy yesterday are you going to carry on doing this because like you know hello like this has been amazing experience particularly again as a mum i don't get to go out to restaurants very often so having a really high quality cut of meat um, at a reasonable price the same as i play in the supermarket it's been incredible and i think there's a good example he said to me i'd like to think so we're still deciding so they've pivoted They've kept the business going and now they get to decide and they're looking at, um, you know, they will maybe offer pickups, you know, Saturday morning collection slots for, for family. And he also said to me, which was lovely, we really want to support the people who've supported us. And, you know, they recognise in that the mums have basically saved their business by being, being yeah. willing to take a punt you know and and give that a go and then it's win-win all around so i love the fact that some of the established models i used to work in bt and it's a very you know um 
uh, a very big business and there was very sometimes in pockets of ethos of like it just doesn't work like that we've always done it this way and it's quite hard to move the juggernaut in a big company and I think it's been incredible overnight in the wake of pandemic has seen just all the things that we might have liked to have changed uh, just gone like that and people having to innovate it's amazing well one of the, uh, the the one of the final topics I want to come on to um, is around. We talked uh, previously around uh, decision making, uh, uh, planning uh, ninety day sprints. Talk to me about um, how you see businesses using that model and what how that model works, uh, and you know what the pros of that of that type of model are. Yeah, so um, in my like sort of legal background, commercial contracts and everything, um, I did a lot of technology contracts, which in the last you know twenty years have been changed phenomenally and are having to change all the time. And one of the ways that, um, particularly in a project management sense and a delivery sense, that new technology uh, is delivered is through um, agile working. It's called Scrum working. You're familiar with it, and the teams work to very short term goals and they work collectively on actions, and then they sort of at the end of a sprint they stop they reassess they course correct and they go forward again so the principle is very applicable to business particularly in this climate so it's always been a good idea obviously to have a business plan but we used to talk a lot more um, in business uh, about a 10-year plan or a 10 uh, you know five-year plan or maybe you know um, an exit plan might be a better way to describe it uh, more recently in line with this agile context and the, how fast the world is changing these days you know we live in a very past fast paced changing environment in the western world so it's more sensible for business owners to work in shorter planning spurts and 90 days is a good period for a business to know whether something is working or not whether that's you know a product that's due to market and it's got enough time to get feedback whether it's a marketing strategy or something they're doing on social media you have to stick with it for long enough to know where it works but you also have to have a tipping point that says that's not working so well you know course correct do something different and i think in the pandemic that's come down even smaller in some ways, um, which is can be true and cannot. Um, rational thinking has been very difficult to arrive at for many business owners because we're in panic mode and the neuroscience, the way that our brain works when the amygdala's triggered, which it has been for many of us, we struggle to kind of step back. So, I mean, you know, we've talked a little bit about the broadroom. The whole concept of the broadroom is based on that, that when business owners are under stress and they're trying to do their own business plan and say, is it going to work? It's always better to get another set of objective smart minds to help you see the blind spots, to help you problem solve. Doesn't mean you'll necessarily do anything different some of the time. You know, you might stick to your original plan, but going through the process of being interrogated and quizzed um, and looking for the holes with a group of smart people is priceless because um, particularly for small business owners, we tend to get siloed and a bit lonely and isolated and blinkered. So, um, so, so in in essence, it's having a a a large uh, key objective or a couple of key objectives, but then breaking those down to okay, well, to get to there, what could we do in the next ninety days? Is that sort of the idea? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it depends, obviously, on the size of your business, because, you know, a 90 day plan for a large business might have many multiple goals and objectives because they've got more resources to, to throw against them. In a smaller business, yeah, you've got to be really realistic. And one of the things that happens for many small business owners is that we start trying to run off in all these different directions and there's opportunities and we say yes to all these things. And then you end up doing not very much well. You're doing everything kind of half cocked and that's a real problem. You know, focus is really important. Oh, I'm saying that I've absolutely been guilty of that in the past. I'm multi-talented, multi-passionate, um, you know, and I, I've, I've learned the lesson the hard way that unless you employ this kind of hedgehog concept, which is from the Jim Collins book, Good to Great, but a company to grow should focus on the thing that it can do brilliantly and do better than anything at anybody else and really get their head down and deliver that to become a, a market leader. You probably heard people talking about niching or, you know, that kind. It's all the same thing, really. It's all part of the same conversation. Brilliant. Listen, you've been absolutely fascinating to listen to um and uh, and really helped us uh normalize a lot of this to be perfectly honest um we're all going through uh, struggles uh rachel if we wanted to find you online uh where would be the best place to or places to find you yeah, I mean, uh, the, to be honest, the online side of things is fairly new to me as well. I've been historically more of an on offline business owner. So I do have social media presence, but um, I'm not I've been terribly active. I'm on WW. Um, what I'm doing? Do we need to do those long titles anymore? I'm on thebroadroom.co.uk. And then the legal side of my business is Serenwood. Um, Seren is star in Welsh because I've got a Welsh background. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm. Um, I am available and I'd love to, I'd particularly love to take questions from people who've listened into this and we've covered quite a broad range of issues, haven't we? And I know more than anything that what's happened is that everybody is going through their own unique experience. No, very few people are, although it's a shared pandemic experience, everybody's situation has been markedly different. And some people's businesses have thrived and some people's have closed and everything in between. Um, and, you know, I, I hope we have managed to talk about that broad experience today. And I would love more than anything if people were taking away anything is just please be kind to each other, be empathetic, realize that we're in the same storm, but we're all riding along in different boats. Makes me very emotional saying that, but you know, there's been a very difficult social economic impact for very many people and we all need to take care of each other. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, I totally get it. And it's, I think we've got a similar ethos really um, in the way that we just want to help people. Be, um, yeah. And uh, and so, so you know, I, I, I fully get it. Um, and uh and, and i'd highly recommend speaking with rachel whatever size of business you are um because uh there's a lot of common sense coming out here so uh it's it's uh it's really good to hear um uh so just to remind everyone there's the facebook group the coronavirus yorkshire business support group we've got more live q a's coming up next week uh, it's brilliant been brilliant having you here rachel this gonna, this is going to be available uh, afterwards as well so we'll share it uh, but it was on linkedin uh, facebook and youtube um and uh, and you've been an absolute delight rachel thank you so much for being involved thanks for um, having me Danny. it's an absolute pleasure uh, and we'll say goodbye uh, we'll see you all soon take care bye been listening to the johnny ross audio experience thanks so much for joining me if you want to continue the conversation head over to my website fleet.marketing 
or find me on LinkedIn. That's all for today. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, tag me in your social media posts, and please leave me a review on iTunes. It will make a huge difference for me. I will see you soon. Thank you.